Do you want to know the verdict now or later? Uh, is it out? Mm-hmm. About an hour and a half ago. Oh, man. See, I've been working, so I, I, I had to teach. What's the verdict? Guilty as charged. Hey, everybody. Todd Conker, Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. Um... So let's just let's just go into this one with eyes wide open. You want to? This isn't going to be a very fun podcast. So if you're looking for fun, uh, it's not here because some stuff went down, and and it's important for us to talk about it. That's first and foremost. We've got to talk about it. Secondly, um, it's it it didn't end the way I thought it would. I mean, it just didn't end the way I thought it would. And so what's going on is there's a, a and I'll, I'll give you all the details of this. I'm going to actually pull it from an article that both Lyle and Cliff sent me. Thank you guys. I, I got a lot, but you guys were early adopters and sent it to me early. And it's, it's basically a, a story of medical error that in my mind has gone wildly out of control. So much so that a, a a very good physician friend of mine said he's relatively convinced that patient safety will not improve and will get worse because of this decision. And, and we'll talk about why that matters. It's it's pretty interesting. But it's, it's all about a story. If you've not followed up on it, uh, four years ago or so, everything gets a little fuzzy because this is pre-COVID, in uh, in Vanderbilt Hospital in Tennessee, in Nashville, Tennessee, a nurse named Redonda Vaught, so sort of memorize that name, she uh, took a vial from an electronic medical dispensing cabinet, a, a, a cart that is, serves as kind of a pharmacy, uh, and somehow overlooked the signs of a terrible mistake. The patient was supposed to get this drug called Versed, and you'll hear us talk about it, which is a sedative you give before you give an MRI. But because of a a lot of just incredibly interesting socio-technical details, the nurse, Nurse Vaught, ended up with a drug called Vercronium, which is a, a paralyzer. And we'll talk about that as well, which unfortunately stopped the patient's breathing and eventually killed the patient. Now, this nurse admitted that she made a mistake to the Tennessee Board of Nursing. And uh, she said that she'd become complacent in her job and distracted by a trainee that she was mentoring. And she was using this computerized medication dispensing cabinet. She didn't try to run from her responsibility. In fact, she did something that we've talked about a ton, which is she sort of fell on her sword. She 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 took the blame because I'm sure she thought, and I'm speculating, but I'm sure she thought it would be easier to take the blame than to move forward. Sorry about that little cough. I really am kind of upset by this whole thing. Um, but she also said the blame was not hers alone. And that really starts the story of this medical dispensing machine 
And the fact that nurses, as a rule, override it all the time. In fact, in order to do work, you have to override it. In order to get, uh, and this is a quote, a bag of saline solution, you have to override it. And this went to court. And that's what the, the NPR article and, and others talk about. And I think, I'll speak for myself. I don't want to speak for anybody else. I think I was so naive that I thought, well, when this gets to court and they tell the story of this 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 medical dispensing, this this uh, pharmaceutical dispensing machine, this is going to be a no-brainer. I mean, you know, this nurse is a victim of a bad system. She's not she's not a murderer. Nurses don't go to work to murder their patients. And mistakes are not choices. We build systems that understand the fallibility of nurses, and we build systems that are robust enough that when that fallibility happens, we have some recoverability. We have, you know, this, we talk about it all the time. And I just thought, you know, when this gets to court, this, I mean, this will, this will be, everything will be fine. But I was wrong. I was really wrong. And that kind of sets up the discussion we're going to have today. So I I called on my buddy Alan Frankfurt. You've heard him before because he's been on the pot a lot of times. He's just so well versed and schooled in these ideas and thinks about them in in an applied way. And I just asked him to walk me through what had happened. I didn't realize I was going to talk to him an hour and a half after the verdict was reached. And you'll hear that we're, we're pretty shocky in this conversation. But I think it's an important conversation for us to share. So let's talk about this event because I, I think we may need to become involved in a better way here. So this is Dr. Alan Frankfurt, and we're going to talk about Vanderbilt and this pharmaceutical air. I don't even know what to say. What should we say? What's going on? I, I don't know, and I, and I apologize for stepping on you here. But I think the best thing to do is just kind of throw it out there, and and let's have the conversation. If it gets a little bit long, we can continue at another time. But uh, let me just give you a little background of a case that I really first became aware of about a week ago. And as soon as I did, I, I really kind of had a hard time sleeping and concentrating because it really touched something so emotional in myself. And I think part of it is because of my experience listening to your podcast, knowing you personally, you know, having been put on the path of the righteous path of hop, uh, resilience engineering, you know, by virtue of having known you. And I think it changed how I thought. So as soon as I read about this unfortunate nurse over at Vanderbilt, I said to myself, self, I need to call Todd or at least send you the story and see if there was some meat there that we ought to be talking about. So you were kind enough to text back and we set up this conversation. So this story revolves around a nurse named Redonda Vaughn. She's a, a registered nurse who was hired in 2015 at Vanderbilt University, which is a world renowned institution. Let me just get that out there. I mean, world-renowned. Mrs. Vaughn was criminally charged with abuse and reckless homicide, stemming from a wrong medication error, 
and the subsequent death of a patient. And if she were to be convicted of this, this nurse who went to work, this nurse who went to work like she does every day, adapting to get work done, could spend the next 12 years in prison. This story really spans three years, two legal proceedings, and three investigative agencies and revolves around a 75-year-old patient named Charlene Murphy who had a bleed around her brain, was admitted to a neurological intensive care unit where she um, continued to improve. And then about 48 hours before her discharge, they sent her down to radiology for one final scan. And when she was in radiology, Miss Vaughn, who freely admits to this medication error, administered the incorrect medication to the patient, Miss Murphy, which caused Miss Murphy's death. And the nurse, Miss Vaughn, freely admits to her error and did so immediately to her supervisors and states, I should have paid more attention. I should have called the pharmacy. I shouldn't have overridden the medication device. It was my fault. But I was doing what I normally do to get work done. And interestingly, Todd, two neurologists from Vanderbilt reported this patient's death to the Davidson County Medical Examiner and never mentioned the medication error. And the medical examiner ruled this a natural death secondary to the bleed in her head. Vanderbilt itself did not report to the state or the federal officials, which was a legal requirement. There was no reporting to the Joint Commission, which was a recommendation. And early in 2018, uh, Vanderbilt settled out of court with the family. Um, and subsequently, the nurse, Ms. Vaughn, was fired. That was in early in 2018. In October of 2018, a tipster sent an alert that there was a medication error at Vanderbilt to state and federal health officials. And that prompted an investigation by the Tennessee Department of Health, which found no disciplinary action was required and that the nurse's action did not constitute a violation of the statutes and the rules governing her profession and did not merit further action. So I guess because of this tipster ref reporting to a uh, to both, a, uh, to both the state and a federal institution, uh, CMS, um, which is the center, um, um, oh God, I'm blanking out. Um, you, anyway. Uh, I don't know. So, I'd have to yeah, make it up. I'll, I'll, I'll get it for you. Um, basically, CMS, um, which um, governs payments to Vanderbilt, and, and other institutions. Um, I think it may be the Center for Medi Medicare Services or something like that. Um, they they, they uh, conducted a surprise visit with Vanderbilt and uh, confirmed that Vanderbilt did not report this to the government or the medical examiner correctly. The case now goes public. CMS, which is a large, powerful government institution, releases their findings and requires Vanderbilt to submit a plan of of correction. And actually, the plan of correction I found online, which addresses the, the, the automated medi medication dispensing uh, machine itself 
and um, and the fact that this the purpose of this override function, which the nurse utilized, is to allow medications in urgent or emergent situations for medications to be removed, and that there was a known challenge with these machines to prevent medication overrides in non-urgent settings, and we'll get to that in just a moment. And actually, Vanderbilt came up with a quite innovative and um, important uh, fix to this problem uh, so that these paralyzing agents that were given by accident to this patient resulting in her death will no longer be able to be pulled up uh, as an override by simply typing in the name. And some of their fixes were quite innovative, and I've already talked to our hospital about implementing this because it could happen at our place. In February of um, 2019, Mrs. Vaughn, the nurse, is arrested and criminally indicted for reckless homicide and gross negligence of an impaired adult, as we've talked about before. Um, Interestingly, later that year, these health officials who had cleared the nurse reconvene and re-examine her case and now find her uh, conduct unprofessional. She abandoned and neglected a patient. She failed to maintain maintain accurate patient records, and uh, she's found to be now an urgent threat to the public. And, uh, this is unbelievable. Has, yeah, and her, and her license is revoked. Um, so kind of wrapping this up, the and I'm going to read this so because I, I, I don't want to mess this up. It's too important to get right. I appreciate it. The, the case against this nurse, Mrs. Vaught, hinges on her use of an electronic medication cabinet, which is a computerized device that dispenses drugs and is widely used in hospitals. According to documents filed in the case, Vaught initially tried to withdraw a medication called Versed, the spelling V-E-R-S-E-D, from a cabinet by typing capital V and capital E into its search function without realizing that she should have been using the generic name Midazolam. Instead, she was using the trade name Versed. When the cabinet did not produce the desired medication Versed, Vaught triggered an override that unlocked a much larger swath of medications and then searched for VE again. And this time the cabinet offered Vecuronium, the wrong medication, which is a muscle paralytic. And the prosecutors described this override as a, quote, reckless act and the foundation for Vought's reckless homicide charge, end quote. But some many experts who testified both for the defense and the plaintiff and the plaintiff has said that cabinet overrides are a daily event at many hospitals. Finally, what was even uh, more impactful was that the 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 plaintiff, Mrs. Vaught, the nurse, insisted her testimony before the nursing board last year stated that overrides were common at Vanderbilt, that a 2017 upgrade to the hospital's electronic health record system was causing rampant delays of medication delivery by the cabinets, and that Vaught said Vanderbilt had instructed nurses to use overrides to circumvent the delays and get medicines as needed. 
quote, overriding was something we did as part of our practice every day. Nurse Vaught testified to the nursing board, quote, you couldn't get a bag of fluids for a patient without using an override function, end quote. Vanderbilt has never confirmed or denied whether the hospital widely used overrides to overcome cabinet delays in 2017, but a witness testified that the hospital's medication cabinets were hampered by technical issues at the time of Murphy, the patient's death. And finally, Ethan Gully, a former Vanderbilt nurse called as a witness to the prosecution, testified that all Vanderbilt nurses were experiencing delays in medication cabinets in late 2017, and nurses could use overrides to, to overcome these delays. Um, finally, uh, Gail Lanigan, who was one of the Tennessee State Health Investigators, told the Tennessee Board of Nursing she had heard about computer issues causing problems with medication cabinets at Vanderbilt in 2017. So I don't want to dominate the conversation. I hope this is the background, Todd, that you were looking for. But I think that uh, based on what I've learned from you and others, you know, David Woods, who's been on your podcast several times, had an interesting comment about hindsight bias. He said, follow the knowledge, follow the thinking, and follow the goal concepts. And you'll have the context to understand what was going on and to combat hindsight bias. We've talked about efficiency and optimality versus thoroughness. We've talked about Rasmussen and boundaries of failure or normalization of deviance. You've helped me understand, you know, Dr. Decker's hindsight bias and that getting rid of bad actors doesn't inherently make the system safer. You know, I can go on and on. We've talked about hot principles, error, blame, learning context, how leadership responds. But I want to end my portion, Todd, with a plea to you to begin a discussion. Is there a role for people like Todd Conklin and others, hop and resilience engineering experts to begin to become active in these types of medical um, criminal cases where we have now criminalized human error in the health field. This patient, this I'm sorry, this nurse an hour and a half ago was found guilty as charged, guilty of felony abuse of an impaired adult guilty of criminal negligent homicide, will be sentenced on May 13th of this year, and she can go to prison for 12 years for overriding an electronic piece of equipment that people testified has not been working normally for years. It happens in my hospital. So with that, I hope that's what you were looking for. But I tell you, I'm in a state of shock. I am, too. I, I am, too. I'm with you. The, help me understand. The goal of that electronic pharmacy machine was was clearly not to reduce wrong patient, wrong medicine. What is the goal of that machine? Is it is it to create efficiency and distribution? Is it to reduce number of pharmacy techs? Is it... That machine seems to play a really important role in this, and I don't understand what it's doing. Well, I, I think without being an expert in right. 
electronic medical device drug distribution. I think certainly from an efficiency and optimality point of view, you minimized uh, the number of pharmacy techs that you need. You minimized maybe even the number of nurses you need. Maybe they're making less trips to the pharmacy for you. Um, certainly, uh, there was an efficiency perspective. I think there was also a potential safety consideration. And uh, to be perfectly honest, like most businesses, uh, being efficient and recapturing lost charges sure. allows the hospital to not lose those that reimbursement that yeah. would come with medication charges that could be lost. Which plays as a, it's got to be a dominant goal in, in the machine design. But it's interesting to me that it, it's clearly not entirely patient safety because of the normalization of the override. I mean, if they're overriding, and weren't they limited? Didn't I read they could only do 20 overrides a day? Uh, I don't know that. So, so, I, somewhere, I, I, I think I read that. I'll have to sort of hunt that down and see if that's accurate. So they're willing to accept 20 overrides a day per nurse. That's, I mean, that's a remarkably brittle system, and there's problems there. But to me, the profound nature uh, – how do you think this got to the place where it was pursued? Is it, is, and I'm asking you to speculate, so please tell me no if you don't want to, but I wonder how this one rolled so so wildly out of control. Is it because there was there was the belief that the hospital tried to hide it, um, that the regulator discovered it, the, the, the tip-off? added to the drama. There's a lot of context factors here that make this really interesting. I think it's, you know, I, I do it a little bit less now, but I used to do a lot of med mal defense work because I learned so much from it. Mm -hmm. And there was this incessant need to blame somebody. Bad outcome, there must have been a bad doctor, a stupid doctor. The last person who touched it and broke it must be at fault. And there was a complete disregard for understanding how systems engineering, as um, Dr. H I'm going to mispronounce this, Eric Hallnagel. You know, I think in a couple of your podcasts, you, you said that or, or you mentioned that he he states that error is the unexpected combination of normal performance variability. Exactly. If you say that to an attorney or 12 people, they roll up off the street and they get hit with that. Their, their eyes cross and roll to the back of their head. I mean, it's taken me years to wrap my arm around it. And I'm not the sharpest tack on the board. But when there's a bad outcome and there are families that are upset and there are, my opinion, there are district attorneys who get all hot and bothered and lathered up and say this was criminal without understanding how work is done. The black line, the blue line, the red line, operational variability, capacity in your systems. I mean, I'm just kind of spewing because I'm so freaking pissed off excuse my french i'm with you because it has set back 
for people like you and hopefully me, and I certainly don't include myself in, in your circles, but our attempts to bring error, error to daylight and see this as a normal occurrence and transition from error and blame to learning. I mean, it's just kicked us in the rear end and I just can't not see people hunkering down and being more secretive than they've ever been because if you don't and you get the wrong 12 people, bud, you're going to jail. Well, yeah, fear of criminal fear of criminal action is going to reduce reporting by 100%. I mean, if I report and go to jail, I'm not going to report, right? So we, we know the chilling effect is going to be profound. But I think you said something really powerful that we probably should anchor on. And that's the classic line, um, get knocked down seven times, get up eight. I mean, the one thing that potentially this could do is really start a dialogue about how wrong this is. Um, because it's it's hard for me to believe that the need to punish that poor nurse fixes anything at all. Certainly not least of which would be the automated pharmaceutical cabinets that exist all around the world. I mean, they they have a problem that that now would be relatively hard to ignore. Yeah, and I think, and this is once again my opinion. I'm probably going to get myself in trouble here, but it wouldn't be the first time. We'll use your code name, <laughs> Doctor Frankenstein. Can you help yeah, us? Exactly, it's Frankenstein. I'm oh, sorry, Frankenstein. <laughs> um, you know, part of your five principles. I think the last principle is is how your leadership responds to failure matters. And so, what I see all I shouldn't say all the time. What is not uncommon is that in these med mal cases, the hospital, comma, which is the organization that should be leading in how we view error, because they really have the power here, comma, I believe budgets a certain amount of money every year from malpractice claims. And they realize they're going to get stuck with X number of dollars that they're going to have to pay out. And so it's, in my opinion, easier to pay those dollars out, settle, and make that settlement secret and, you know, march forward. So I got to ask myself, and so, and so backing up, what happens is, is somebody's got to take the blame. The hospital's already settled. Let's go after the doctor, the nurse, whoever. That's just been my general experience. But the real change is going to have to come, I think, with the hospital. And they're going to have to be doing the heavy lifting to do that. And maybe that's going to require resources, and resources cost money, and reimbursements are decreasing, and there's economic pressures. And I just don't know who's got the power to drive this bus to move away from error as something we blame people for, but it really doesn't fix anything. Right. Well, we act like error is a choice. And add to that the staffing pressure, the post-COVID sort of – there's just a lot going on here. And so we know we're running the system to failure. I mean there's tons of obvious information that's saying the system is non-sustainable as it is now. What 
so the, and this will have a huge impact on medicine, at least in the United States. Uh, it probably already has, and it's only been a couple hours. Um, what do you think? What do you think the next step is? Um, how can we best influence the system to change? Because you can either curse the darkness or light a candle, and it strikes me that um, the one thing that could come out of this horrific court case is an increased a burning platform an increased uh ability to have this conversation sorry that's my grandson <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that noise yeah i love him nothing no, i hate to throw the, the 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 burden onto the hop community the resilience engineering community but honestly the power is in the courtroom. And I've actually had these thoughts before that maybe in these malpractice cases, maybe in these now probably future criminal cases that involve medical folks is bringing some of the hop RE experts into this place and influencing really not just how medical people, nuclear people, aircraft carrier people, electric grid people, power people see error and resilience, but beginning to have that conversation in a courtroom as a way to reach out to people not in that space. I, I, I don't know, Todd, I, I apologize. I wish I had a better no, answer. No. I'm still a little bit I, sitting I, here on, on stun. Yeah, but, I am too. And I'm not, I'm not sure there's, I'm not sure there's an answer. In fact, I'm not sure. I, so first of all, let me, let me make this offer. <clears throat> Let's make this the first conversation and come back and have a second one. Because I don't know what to say now other than to process this information and to share it, get it out there. I think getting it out there is is a good thing to do. Um, seeing what happens next, that's the part we really should pay attention to. And we don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, so in May, she's going to be sentenced. We'll have a little more information. I've already reached out to the head of the OBGYN department, which is an department that I'm intimately working closely with. And we're going to have a grand rounds. Um, and as I think I said earlier, I've already secured a MedMal defense attorney because I'm interested in seeing how this might impact how he defends yeah. medical. But I've also reached out to a um, a criminal defense attorney to have him in on that grand rounds as well to see how he thinks we ought to move forward in changing how a jury of peers, and I put peers in quotation marks, big quotation marks, what they need to hear to understand the difference between error, blame, and learning, and hop, and on and on because at the end of the day it's those 12 people yeah. your peers who are going to decide whether you go to jail or not 
and they'll have no understanding of the kind of things that you talk about on a daily basis. So what do you think the answer is? So I think, I think you're right. I think we have to build a dialogue. The, to me, the, the, most inf- the, the group that can be influenced the most are probably the 12 jurors, brave and true. I mean, it's, it's, if, if we build the case with a context-rich description of what happened, it's, it's really hard. It's, it's hard. I mean, it's the classic start with what failed and move to who failed. And and I think we just get that message out there. We we start with the system, and then in fact, what happens is the people in the operation, the pointy end of the system, they don't become doers of bad acts; they become victims of bad systems. I think the powerful story here in the courtroom for the defense is to have a conversation with those 12 people and tell a story that they can relate to in their daily lives that make them realize that they they make mistakes all the time and that they have made mistakes that have resulted in a bad outcome, but it wasn't something they intended to do it wasn't a choice, but when you look at what happened within the context of the bigger story, they were somewhat of an innocent bystander along on this ride that resulted in a bad outcome. Yeah. So now you're going to have to tell them a story that they can relate to that allows them to understand that this nurse didn't wake up that morning in 2016 or whenever it was, um, 2018, and wake up and say, I'm going to go kill a lady. Yeah. She went to work and did what she did every day to get done what she needed to do and to adapt in real time to go take care of this lady. Yeah. Let's talk again. Let's give ourselves a couple weeks to incubate. So that's where we left it. It's a commitment. Stay on me. Make sure I don't miss this commitment. But I think we need some time to think about this and what this means. Um, Because I think that's going to be important. I want to see what Dr. Frankfurt thinks. And and I want to talk to other people and see what this means for us. Because I want to revisit this. I, I, I think... Today we told the story of what I thought was going to be an easy no-brainer case, and it wasn't. And that, I think, is worth us thinking about. It changes the way these people will do work. It also is going to impact the safety of the patients that these people work with. That's the pod. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. That's probably more important now than ever before. And for goodness sakes, be safe.